And today we're gonna to get to continue our series on work that restores. We're thinking about how we can do justly and love mercy in and through our everyday work. And we've had a great um, past two weeks diving into that with some guest speakers. And I would encourage you to go back and listen to those if you didn't have a chance. Um, but today I'm thrilled to have two friends on our call uh, that are gonna kind of help us take a look at this again from, from two different angles. Um, so Missy Wallace, uh, who is, um, maybe I can spotlight. Now I'm gonna go ahead and stop sharing so that you can see. So Missy Wallace is right here. And uh, she works with, um, she leads City to Cities Global Faith and Work Initiative, which consults with cities, networks, and churches around the world on the implementation of faith and work strategies. Prior to that, Missy began and directed the Nashville Institute for Faith and Work, which is actually how we got a chance to know one another. Uh, but she's also worked at the Bank of America. She's worked at the Boston Consulting Group, Time Warner. And I like the fact that she did her MBA in our backyard at Kellogg um, Business School uh, through Northwestern. So Missy in a few minutes is gonna talk to us about a framework for work amidst brokenness. And then I'm gonna do a bit of an interview with Ben Nussbaum. So I'm gonna spotlight Ben for you. There's Ben. Uh, ben, um, is uh, gonna flesh out a little bit more of what this looks like, sort of a boots on the ground perspective. Ben is an alum of our nine month uh, Burnham Fellowship program and other Faith and Work Chicago programs. He is working on his MDiv at Trinity in Deerfield. And he is currently working with a fantastic nonprofit group uh, called Rework Training. And I'm really excited to have him get a chance to tell you a bit more about it. Uh, we'll, we'll hopefully have some time we'll save uh, at the end for Q and A. Um, if you have questions as we're kind of going along, uh, feel free to drop those in the chat, um, kind of publicly, or you can just um, send it to me directly, and we'll definitely try to get to those as we wrap up our session. But uh, without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to Missy and have you take it away for today's session. So thanks for thanks so much, both Ben and Missy, for being with us. Thank you. It's great to be here. Um, although I see that I'm still having trouble with my share feature, let me see. Um, you know, Melissa, it's not allowing me to share for some reason it comes up as kind Sorry. of desktop. So if you don't mind sharing, that would be great. I think I can do that. Give me one second here. Anyway, it's great to be with you all. I love Chicago. I lived there for three years, two in Evanston and then one in the city. And um, I'm wondering if your weather has turned yet. I only see one of you in sweaters. So um, ours, I am in sitting in Nashville today and ours has not quite turned yet. And so if you'll advance to the first slide, Melissa, um, what I want to talk about is um, faith and work amidst brokenness. And I thought it would be a good place to start of all the truncated versions people have of faith and work. Because I think part of the reason people have a truncated view is that of course they haven't been perhaps properly discipled about faith and work in their church context, but also because maybe their denomination or their church upbringing focuses on one type of brokenness more than the other. And also, I woke up sick today, so I'm going to keep sipping water to try to keep my voice. But I think if I go to a group of people that have not been through some type of faith and work class, and I say, what does faith and work mean to you? 
I will usually hear something off of one of these squares, but not a holistic version. And so um, maybe if someone, sometimes it's denominationally driven, sometimes it's maybe geography of the part of the U.S. they grew up in that is driven. But I have found that often if I ask this question in the southern part of the United States, what does faith and work mean to you? I'll often get answers around evangelism or so sharing the gospel or around ethics, like being the good guy at work, making great ethical decisions, being an example. And then if I ask different groups of people, maybe from different denominations, maybe different upbringings, different parts of the country they were raised in, they might lean towards um, something more like helping the people hurting, um, employing poor people, social impact. Um, And then another type kind of strain of answers I'll get have to do with kind of personal relationship with God. So praying at work, listening to God's voice, making sure I'm in my calling or in God's will. And then finally, sometimes people answer things that have to do with pushing against culture. So reforming my industry or changing culture. And the truth is that all of those things are inclusive of faith and work. And so I was about five years into teaching a fellowship that's very similar to the fellowship that Melissa teaches in Chicago, which I think you call it the Burnham Fellows, Melissa. Um, And if you want to turn to the next slide, that'd be helpful. I realized that something that was built within the fellowship, but wasn't talked about overtly, is understanding what the gospel says about personal brokenness and about broken systems. And so I started um, playing around with putting these things on a two by two. And so what I discovered was that the Bible says a lot about personal brokenness, but it also, and I think that is um, every Christian to come to the place to say, I am a sinner, I need Christ. They understand their personal brokenness. They understand the personal brokenness of a human. They understand our, ability to uh, or inability to not sin or not turn away from God. Um, Not everybody has a great awareness of understanding that the fall impacts systems as well. And so I think an easy example that I can sometimes give is if anybody has been in the hospital recently or had someone in the hospital, you can see that even if every single person that you interact with at the hospital experience acts perfectly, the system can still sometimes go awry. And it doesn't have to do with the people's behaviors. It has to do with the fact that the person charging the money, the person paying for the money, paying for the charges, and the person receiving the care are not all aligned. And so we have a three-party system. We have the insurance companies, we have the healthcare delivery companies, and we have the individuals. And when they are not all aligned, the system itself, even if every single person acts with perfection, can cause problems. And so that would be an example of a broken system. Um, I think that of recent, um, there's been a great increase in understanding of racism being a broken system. Um, I think that we can see come up with all kinds of broken systems and each of your industries have broken systems. So there are things that are not aligned properly that create um, 
kind of sinful, broken outcomes, even if the people act perfect. And so what I realized was that to truly understand the whole of faith and work is helpful to have a high awareness of personal brokenness and a high awareness of broken systems. And so I thought I would walk us through this two by two and show what happens or how you tend to engage faith and work if your awareness is higher on one than the other. So let's go to the next slide, um, Melissa. So if you have a very high awareness of your personal brokenness and the personal brokenness of others, and maybe a very low awareness or low interest in broken systems, your faith and work um, disposition or propensity will likely be towards ethics and evangelism because you see that you're broken and now that you are in Christ, you are being sanctified and you want so badly to um, be of, um, you know, that new behavior that comes out of the Holy Spirit. And so you will be doubling down on trying hard to represent yourself well, do the right thing, be honest, have integrity. And then at the same time, because you understand um, the brokenness of others and you understand saving grace, you will be motivated towards sharing the gospel to others, helping them see that they're broken. But you may not be as focused on pushing against culture or pushing against broken systems in your place of work. So if you go to the next slide, Melissa. Um, likewise, um, if you have a very uh, low understanding of personal brokenness, but a very high understanding of broken systems. So you definitely see broken systems all over the place. You see how the school systems are set up to be broken and hurt some people in some ways. You see how the healthcare system has some brokenness. You see how investment bank banking has, even though it's um, got some creational goodness of redistributing resources to those who don't have it and bringing structure into buying and selling companies, you see that it has some greed built into the system that sometimes creates inequitable outcomes or inequitable access. So if you have a high awareness of broken systems, maybe a high awareness of racial injustice, a high awareness of some gender brokenness, you will um, be very interested in having social impact focus. And so you will want to be a teacher and change the school system. You will wanna push against racial injustice. And sometimes that can have the effect of feeling that it's all on you, that you are the savior of the broken system, that you are the one that has to do it. And when that starts to happen, it reduces your ability to perhaps see your brokenness or perhaps the brokenness of some people in the system even though they are not the creator of the system. And so um, it, it leads to an overemphasis on just pushing against the system without an understanding of the imagio dei, et cetera, and the personal brokenness. So if you go to the next slide, if you have a low <laughs> awareness of both, um, you probably are a nominal Christian because I think it's hard to sit in the truce of Christianity and have a low awareness of both. And chances are that leads to you having a self-focus. 
So anything that you're doing that may look like faith-based, if you have a low awareness of both, is probably um, set yourself up for um, improvement for your self-based. So you're being nice so that you can be a better person or so that you can get a promotion. Um, You're trying to fix something that's broken so it makes you look better or so that you can have the company advance and your career can advance. And so people who have a low awareness of both of them tend to be self-focused or perhaps a nominal Christian. Um, So it's not that they're not doing good things. It's just that the focus or the outcome of them um, tends to be more on self. And so I would um, opine that having a high awareness of broken systems and a high awareness of personal brokenness is where we really can unleash the fullness of the gospel and the fullness of faith and work. So if you could please advance the slide, Melissa. Um, And so that is where we get into um, being able to fully embrace all that faith and work has to offer. And so um, we could talk about the Great Commission, which is Matthew 28, 19, and 20, um, which is go out and create disciples. We can talk about the Great Commandment, which is love God and love others. We can talk about the great requirement, requirement, which um, Melissa had on the slide um, about loving mercy and justice that we find in Micah. And we can see the cultural mandate unleashed, which is the go out and create flourishing, um, be fruitful and multiply, create flourishing, um, take dominion over, call it good. Um, And so I would love to um, show you what happens if um, you take one too far than the other. And then also give you a couple of examples where I've seen someone who's totally embracing both be able to unleash all of these simultaneously. So let's go to the next slide. So what ends up being missing if you only focus on one? So if if this group was the one that was a little bit more on ethics, a little bit more on evangelism, high awareness of personal brokenness, low awareness of broken systems, if you're engaging in this part of the quadrant as your faith and work, um, you are helping people um, that what's missing is experiencing the fullness of the gospel and explaining the pains from systemic problems. And so what you're sharing with people is this saving grace but you're not able to explain um, the impact while the impact on this world can feel so superficial to those suffering. So if someone is being, let's, let's talk about the delivery workers for Amazon during the height of the pandemic lockdown. We read articles about how they were getting together for poor treatment and they were having to work 20 hour shifts and weren't being paid well and weren't being paid overtime. Right. So Um, When somebody in um, that environment is coming and sharing the gospel with them and telling them that, um, you know, they can have new heaven and new earth when they get to heaven and there's the saving grace, it still doesn't explain to them through the lens of theology, well, why am I getting oppressed and treated so poorly at work? And when you help them understand high personal brokenness and high system brokenness, that's all part of the biblical story and we're in the already, but not yet. It allows them to understand why the world can still have so much suffering. Likewise, if you're down here in the bottom right, 
So you have someone that's just working their tail off. They're just striving, striving, striving to push against broken systems. And they're so incredible. Um, They're warriors for underdogs. But sometimes humility is missing in the messenger. And then when things are pushed, why? So we're seeing a lot of Christians push on. How can CRT be true, right? They're pushing against some whys behind some of this work in this bottom quadrant. And if the person does not have a high understanding of system brokenness and personal um, and a high understanding of personal brokenness, they have a hard time grounding it in the Imago Dei and all. They have a hard time grounding it in scripture. So it gets grounded in kind of striving. Um, Down here, what's missing is in the bottom left is the motivation to care for others. And the motivation to care for others can start to fall apart because the self usually wins out. And so then let's let's look at the let's look at some examples in the high high. Um, if you want to go to the next slide. So I'm going to share with you a story of someone who had a really high understanding of his personal brokenness and he had a really high understanding of broken systems. And his um, he had come, he had been working in Haiti. Um, during the, he was there for five or six years before the big earthquake that I think was in 2015. And then he was about to move back to the U.S. and the earthquake came. So he stayed there for another year, really involved in poverty alleviation, really saw a lot of broken systems, really understood his own brokenness, also understood the brokenness of others. He left and went to Stanford Business School. And after Stanford Business School, he felt called into business and he ended up in a large publicly traded company um, that runs a certain type of healthcare clinics. That's a specialty type of clinic. And so um, when he ended up in our faith and work intensive, he was about a year into his work. Um, He was a middle manager and he's feeling very discouraged that he should be back working in poverty relief because in this publicly traded profit driven company, he had no ability to do poverty relief. He had no ability to really have an impact. And then the Holy Spirit really convicted him one night. He looked at the clinics that he managed. He managed a a whole hundreds of clinics in one portion of the country. And he started looking at absentee rates because he was trying to understand why they were having a hard time keeping some of them staffed. And when you're not staffed, you're not making money. You're not going to meet your goals. You're going to take a stock hit, not to mention not caring for the patient well. Um, And he was feeling both sets of pressures. And when he started looking at the absentee rates, he realized something significant. He realized that minimum wage workers had unexpected absences that were three, four, five times as long as um, higher paid professionals in the organization. And he's got curious about what's going on there. And what he found out, I'm going to make a long story quite short, But what he found out was that there were systems at play that if a minimum wage worker had an unexpected issue, like a car breaking down or a sick child, the system was set up where they could not get back to work as fast as if my car broke down. So if my car broke down, I'm calling AAA, they're going to replace my battery or I'm taking Uber and I'm going to be to work in three hours. If someone um, at the minimum wage levels cars break down, they don't have AAA, they don't have another car to get to work, they don't have the cash back up to take an Uber to work, 
And in my city, to get across town on a bus may take up to three hours. And so to go through all the shenanigans to get to the payday loan, to get an advance, to be able to then go buy your battery, to then find someone in your apartment complex to change your battery for you, it ended up being a two, three-day absence instead of a three-hour absence for the example of a car not functioning. And so he really started working on this and he was trying to unleash cash on their balance sheet to help people with emergency um, minimum wage workers or what he deemed calling the working poor in his organization. So people working full time, but unable to meet the standard day to day um, expenses in life. He started working on a project to unleash cash on the balance sheet to reduce those absences by reducing their emergencies. And that project went on for quite a while due to a number of, um, there needed to be a third party involved. There were some legal issues on and on. But while he was trying to get that approved, the human resources director of the entire company found out about it and went to another meeting. And someone in our other meeting said, did you prove to the head of people management that our lowest wage workers are poor? And he said, maybe, why? And she said, because that person, that head of HR just approved for us to pay for the nursing tuition for anyone who wants to go to nursing school at night so that they can move up in the organization that will pay for 100% of their tuition. And she formerly had been against that. And she said she had been convinced now that minimum wage workers didn't have any margin to contribute to their own tuition at all. And that it would never be motivating to give them this access by only paying for part of their tuition. And so the story carries on. They're still trying to get the um, emergency um, help in place. But meanwhile, all these things have happened, right? So first of all, now um, minimum wage workers can get higher education and move up in the company with the company fully paying for their tuition. So I would say that's an element of the cultural mandate, go out and create flourishing by looking for some broken systems. Um, second of all, at least three, maybe four, maybe 10 people in various ways I know the, the HR director was an atheist and asked him what motivated him. So he was able to share what motivated him to work on this project, that it was really his faith, that it was really the image of God in these workers, that it was really this system that someone could be working full time, yet not have an ability to solve a problem like a broken car battery. He was able to fulfill the great commandment. He's looking for those um, uh, and loving them well trying to remove obstacles for them. Um, and he's able to fulfill the great requirement. So um, love, mercy, and do justice. And so here by just being present and seeing one problem and being curious about that one problem, he was able to unleash all these things. He was able to naturally evangelize, naturally create flourishing, naturally um, create some mercy and justice opportunity for the underdog. And people noticed and said, what's what is it? What's motivating you? So I'll stop there. Um, but I, I think my um, summary is that really helping people understanding broken systems and broken individuals is the key to helping unlock mercy and justice in the workplace.
Misty, thank you. I um, let's see, I'm not sharing my video because my connection isn't great, but I'll just talk from behind my picture here. Um, but no, thank you so much for um, for sharing that uh, um, that grid. I think it's really um, insightful uh, in, in seeing how maybe we we might have. Um, you know, a piece of what it is that the Lord's calling us to in and through our daily work. Um, but, but there might be pieces missing or, or things that, um, that maybe we haven't thought about, or we haven't thought about how our work relates to it. So, um, yeah, so I really appreciate, uh, giving that perspective. Um, I want to, uh, invite questions. Um, I'm going to share my screen again. Um, but, but maybe I'm going to give you guys a minute just to, to be thinking about what questions you might have. So please do feel free to submit questions, uh, in the chat, either to me or, or you can just put them publicly in the chat, um, and we'll get back to them. So want to have you ruminating on the things that, that Missy was just talking about, um, while we take it to, um, another interview and, have been share with us a bit about, um, yeah, I love the story that you shared, Missy, um, uh, of the guy in, um, yeah, in the industry that he was in and, and what that looked like. And I think uh, as we were considering um, this session, I thought about Ben and just uh, what I have learned from him um, in the work that he's doing currently and, and was just making a lot of connections um, as I thought about what it looks like to to kind of see brokenness uh, in, in systems and, and to really work towards addressing that. And so, Ben, I would love if you would just share maybe a bit. Um, the, the organization you work for is called Re Rework Training. Is that is that the best way to say it? I think I've just been saying rework, but there's the training part of it, um, which supports minority communities with free professional development. And I would love to just have you unpack that a little bit more. Could you could you tell us about rework? Um, maybe tell us about why you're a part of it. Yeah. Um, can you all hear me OK? Perfect. OK, great. Um, well, Missy's paradigm, I think, was was really relevant, especially the bit about broken systems. Um, I think the best way I would answer your question, Melissa, why am I a part of rework and, and why did I join the team, um, here back in January was probably because there was a really obvious broken system, uh, that I felt existed within the industry that I previously worked. So I used to work in tech sales. Uh, I had a couple different roles at a couple different companies. And one of the things that really confused me, uh, was tech companies, um, in Chicago, but also nationwide, would tout that they were organizations that were really diverse and inclusive. They wanted to create uh, more diverse and inclusive workspaces by recruiting a, a larger subset of ethnic minorities, particularly here in Chicago. But the percentages of those individuals who actually had access to the types of jobs that I had uh, did not really increase from 2014 when a lot of these companies committed to uh, furthering their diversity and inclusion efforts. And so the, the more that I worked in the industry for about five years from, from 2016 to this last January, um, the more I realized that that was a, a broken system that existed. Um, in Chicago, there are a lot of really wonderful work opportunities here uh, in, in you know, the realm of tech sales, which is what I've done for the last half decade. Um, but what I found was that people, uh, particularly black and brown populations from the south and west sides of the city did not have equal access to those same jobs. Um, and so as somebody who 
maybe has has been able to see over um, you know the the last like I said half decade of my life what some of these challenges that you know Chicago faces are. Um, what rework was doing presented itself as a, a real solution to some of those broken systems that I've been able to observe um, from working within the industry. So that's that's overall, I would say the the main reason why I joined in the work um, was because it was a really relevant broken system given the industry that I was working in. Uh, but also the other thing I, I tell people, uh, I suppose more casually is, I think it's one of the best ideas nobody's ever heard of here in Chicago. Um, so for those of y'all that are, are on the line that are Chicagoans, um, you all know that there's a, a pretty nasty history of redlining and inequity in a lot of different areas of our city, particularly as it relates to housing, education, uh, food access, things like that. But what I realized in the work that I've done uh, at LinkedIn was that there's actually maybe the most glaring area of inequity uh, is access to high paying work here in Chicago. And so I think the work that, that we're doing um, in training folks to have access to these types of jobs is a really wonderful idea that can actually exponentially swing the pendulum um, that not a lot of people consider because we typically focus on some of those other areas that I previously mentioned. So those are a, a few of the reasons, Melissa, that um, I joined Rework. Hopefully that answered the question. I'm actually going to grab my other pair of headphones here because my AirPods just did a little, we're dying thing. So give me like two seconds. Yes. No problem. Uh, we are running into a lot of technical difficulties today. So that just tells me that there's other things going on behind the scenes for this call that, uh, that perhaps the, um, the enemy doesn't want us to, to get to share. So uh, we're, we're keep trusting the Lord and working with our technical issues. All right. You hear us, Ben? And maybe I need to ask you to unmute again. Can you hear us? Let's see here. Are you able to hear us, Ben? Oh, oh, I got to get you to unmute. Sorry. There we go. Okay. There we go. Can y'all hear me? We got this working. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, all good. Yes, we can hear you. Great. Um, no, that's, yeah, I, I, I think that it's so relevant, um, Ben, what you were just talking about and connected to what Misty was talking about as well. Could you tell us a bit more, like, what is it that Rework does? What does that, what does it look like? What, um, how, how do they go about this work? And, and even yeah, just so to share, I know that it's, oh, and this isn't, um, this is not a, a Christian company that, that started um, because of a love for Christ even, but uh, yeah. we can talk more about that, but. Yeah, that's and that's been uh, a really interesting thing for for me to interact with as well. So rework we to make things really um, religiously confusing. We were started by an atheist, um, same as Harrison. He's a good friend of mine, and then our CEO, uh, my boss Shelton, is actually a Jehovah's Witness. So like we have no idea uh, religiously what's going on with rework. Um, but what I do believe is that we're we're engaged in really wonderful kingdom work that has. Kind of like Missy was saying earlier, maybe in that lower right quadrant, uh, it has the Imago Day, uh, the fingerprints of the Imago Day all over this organization. And so what we do as an organization is we work with folks from the south and west sides of the city who previously thought that, you know, a job in tech sales that paid, um, you know, $60,000 a year was ever an opportunity for them. Um, so we train them on how to get these types of jobs and how to sell software. 
And then we actually get them jobs doing it by partnering with organizations across the city who, again, over the last year and a half, especially have made all of these claims about wanting to hire more diverse and inclusive workforces. Uh, we sort of position ourselves as a really great opportunity to do just that and to actually put their money where their mouth is and, and hire people who historically have been barred from access to great jobs um, in the field of, of, of tech sales. And so um, really the, the way I look at it is, you know, there's, there's three levels of impact. The first level of impact is um, providing someone with a salary that um, pays $60,000 a year. Typically folks come into our program from the South and West side, making on average $17,000 a year and they leave making $60,000 a year. So the impact that, you know, that has on one person's wallet is really important. Uh, the impact that it has on an organization is the second level. So companies um, can gain access to, you know, populations or communities that maybe previously they didn't engage with. So one of the stories I always really like to tell is one of our candidates uh, was placed in a job at Salesforce, um, which Salesforce isn't exactly like, you know, trying to sell to communities on the south side of Chicago. Um, so Leonard, who is the candidate, he got a job there. Then his wife got a job there. Um, her wife's dad runs a business in St. Louis. So Salesforce was able to sell their product to his wife's dad. Uh, and then Leonard's barber actually ended up buying Salesforce as a, a product to manage their customers on. So we, we believe that the work we're doing can have an impact on our partners, our companies. That's the second level. But the third level is uh, our communities. And we think that Chicago has not had creative, innovative solutions to solving uh, a lot of the economic inequalities that neighborhoods have had over the, the last few decades. So when you think about $60,000 going back into a neighborhood like Englewood or like West Garfield Park or like Roseland, uh, the exponential impact that that can have long-term on the reinvestment that goes back into that neighborhood, we feel like uh, tells a pretty compelling story. So on a basic level, we train people on how to get jobs in tech sales, and then we place them in jobs doing it. But long-term, our, our hope is to actually restore uh, a lot of the communities that people who would like access to great jobs here in Chicago live in. I love that, Ben. I think it, it speaks to all those different levels, um, even that we were talking about sort of that individual personal level, as I know you interact with individuals, even as you were talking about interacting with um, your coworkers who are coming from different different faith backgrounds about why you do it, but then there's also uh, you know a vision toward um, toward even even greater impact um, in in good and flourishing and, and restoration that you're looking at in individual lives and families as well as as a community. Um, yeah, so I, I think that's really. Um, it's really encouraging, and uh, I know that there are are folks on the call who are um, who are in Chicago, and so yeah, I would love if you would just share what what can it look like. What um, I think this was one of the bigger connections I, I wanted to help make even with this call is to to ask um, what does it look like for even those on the call to be involved with this and and to think about how do we use um, you know sort of the, the the networks the platforms the skills um, that we all bring uh, you know to to be part of um, this kind of restoration work um, this this good work that you're part of yeah so I'll really quickly uh, drop our volunteer link in the chat um, and then explain some of the different outcomes uh, that could come about from you all volunteering but really just by virtue of you all working 
within a professional setting, we feel like you're qualified to volunteer for our organization. Um, the main thing that we want to provide to candidates who go through our program is access to expanded networks and belief. Uh, those are like two things that we find candidates are, are sorely lacking in uh, is like network currency and people just believing in them. Um, and I think that's one of the ways that when I, I talk with like my Christian friends about getting involved with rework makes me really excited uh, is I know that by bringing in Christians to our organization, the amount of belief and encouragement that any of you all might be able to pour into one of our candidates who is looking for a job is immense. Um, because at a certain point with the industry that I work in, you know, workforce development, career development, um, a lot of these conversations around diversity and inclusion um, or bettering yourself, you know, upskilling, those have a ceiling. They, they, they have a, there's a ceiling um, at which those conversations don't have necessarily like the same impact as when somebody who knows God wants to see that person flourish is able to walk into a person's life and say, Hey, I believe in you. I'm in your corner. I want to do all that I can to help you gain access to a great job. Uh, even if you don't like have experience in tech sales, I think that that provides more of a currency to people than you all might realize. Um, and so I know this was a question I thought through for a long time as I became a, a citizen of this city, like, What's the best way for me to actually plug into uh, or help redeem some of the broken systems that I see here in Chicago? And there's a myriad number of different ways that you all can do that, whether that's, you know, working at a homeless shelter or a food kitchen or working with kids and that sort of thing. For me, as somebody who worked within the professional world, I found that this was maybe the best outlet for me to do that, uh, to leverage like my professional experience um, and experiences interviewing at different companies and give that to somebody who deserves access to that. They just never knew that it was a possibility for them. So um, in becoming a volunteer with Rework, uh, really what you'd be signing up for is the opportunity to mentor a candidate of ours who is going through the program actively job seeking. So you kind of could serve as a bridge for them, uh, but you would also serve as just a coach or resource for them as they're thinking through some of the questions that uh, relate to looking for a job, which I'm sure many of y'all know it can be a stressful thing. So I'd be happy to talk more with any of you all though, but that link will take you to the volunteer landing page. Yeah, I love that. And I, um, I just think, um, you know, about, uh, we, we just talk about what it looks like to, to steward our vocational platforms. Like what has the Lord given us? Uh, I think uh, last week, uh, David Dillon, if you were on the call, shared about kind of like looking at what is it that is in his hands? What does he have to offer? Um, and, and how does he, you know, um, give that away in a sense on behalf of of others. And, and so I, I think about this one as such a big uh, thing that we have to offer. As Ben said, we have belief to offer and encouragement in, in, in those. And then we have networks and platforms um, that so many people don't have access to. And so it, to me, this is just such an easy, in a sense, way to, to engage that and to think about that stewardship call that we all have um, on our lives, but also on, on the work, um, you know, that God has given us. And so, um, yeah, I just, I appreciate that, Ben. Thank you for engaging in this yourself and, and helping us um, think about how we might do so as well. Um, I want to open up for questions. I, I do have one. I'm going to um, bring it back to Missy. Uh, but um, if you have any questions for either of them, please feel free to drop that in the chat. We've got about 10 minutes here um, that we can do some Q&A. 
Um, Missy, one of the questions that came in is um, even just kind of what are some questions that we might ask ourselves in order to think about these areas of brokenness, um, you know, around us or, or in our workplace? How do we how do we maybe begin to have that kind of mindset if that's not something we've we've had before? Sure, I think that's a great question, and I think if you start looking for it, you can't not see it. <laughs> And so um, if instead of, you know, I find that when I'm assuming everything should work really well at work, you end up really frustrated, right? Because you run into things and, you know, things are broken. That's just a biblical reality. And so if when you start feeling frustration at work or when you start seeing others feel frustration at work, that's usually a sign, not always, because some conflict is very healthy but that's often a sign that you're hitting against something that's broken. Motivations are misaligned. Um, Some kind of system, perhaps beyond just an individual um, acting selfishly, um, some kind of system may be at work. Um, I find that it's very helpful to go through an exercise of thinking about your industry's creational goodness. And so if you think about all of God's character traits, if you think about God's God in Genesis being a creator and then telling us to go out and create, you can make the um, leap that God actually cares about each industry and there's some creational goodness in each industry. And so banking is one that often gets thrown under the bus as just super greedy. How can this have anything godly in it? Just secular capital S. But one thing you can think about is that banking allows for the redistribution of resources from those who have them to those who don't. That is something that God does. God redistributes resources from those who have them to those who don't. And if you think about God as a creator, um, bringing structure out of chaos and trying to call it good all throughout Genesis 1, And if you think about the banking industry as potentially trying to bring structure out of chaos and trying to call it good. So we can't buy and sell companies like I'll give you my three goats and you give me some pencils anymore, right? We had to come up with a structure. And so we created a structure and it's evolved into the banking industry. Yet the banking industry is broken, right? So government keeps getting involved and putting regulations on it to try. And what's really happening is that they're trying to address broken motivations. And so sometimes if you look at the creational goodness, it helps you contrast, okay, well, why isn't it working? Okay, well, a bank can't exist to just redistribute resources for free. So there has to be some kind of structure. Okay, there has to be some kind of payment mechanism. Okay, the payments seem, um, you know, one of the big uh, gripes about the banking industry is that the payments seem unequitable, that the value created and the value realized perhaps seem unequitable. Well, the bank would say, oh, but we're taking on more risk. So that's why it has to be inequitable. And so then you can start to think about, well, what's broken? What's broken in the risk relationship, the payment relationship? Who has access to the banking? Who doesn't have access to the banking that can start to help you unwind where something broken is. Um, but that's that's huge, right? That's looking at your whole industry's brokenness. I encourage people to just start right where they are. Why is the scheduling mechanism not working for whose due dates or what in your staff meeting? Why is that not working? Is that not working because the communication isn't early enough? 
Is that not working because the right people aren't buying into the communication, right? So you can start on a very microcosm level of looking for broken things and pushing against them. And that's like the light that we get to bring. That's so good and so helpful. Um, I think it's so easy to just kind of go about our daily work and, and honestly to think about, you know, what's working or not working for me. Um, and, and if that's all we're, we're focused on, um, you know, sure, sure, that hopefully drives us to the Lord and engages our, our faith. And, um, you know, it is part of that, uh, that um, paradigm that you're sharing. Um, but, you know, what, what is, what is another level to sort of look beyond ourselves and, and to ask those same questions of, of just, as you said, what, what's not working for others, what's not working, um, you know, for the, for the person next to me, what, are, what things are set up, um, that maybe make it easier for me as, you know, uh, uh, as a white person in my industry than, than for a minority brother or sister, um, I think those can really um, maybe change our our engagement, even with the Lord, um, about our work. So I, I appreciate that. Um, yeah. Any? Let's see. Um, any other questions coming in? I, I would love if I think uh, Missy put it in the the chat, but um, uh, oh, Ben, maybe do you have a? <laughs> ask you to unmute if you have a comment to make um but even yeah are there things that you're thinking of right now sort of in terms of systemically things that are broken in your industry um if you feel comfortable dropping in the chat um i think it's it's helpful to just kind of brainstorm a little bit with one another i think i saw someone in co corporate real estate i know corporate real estate gets a lot of um it's a lot of criticism of what's broken so I'd be interested to hear, um, Linda, what your thoughts are on that. And then what, what can be God's creational goodness in that? I don't want to put you on the spot, but if you've had a chance to think about it. I don't think everybody has the opportunity to unmute. So if you want to okay. drop that in the chat, feel free. Um, I, I, I'll, I can unmute you, Linda. I don't want to put you on the spot if you don't have anything to off the top of your head, but... I, I, I am kind of on the spot, but what jumped into my mind right now was real quickly when you said the brokenness was just that the pandemic has really like caused everybody to stop working in offices. And so now there's like, an, um, you know, all this space that, that we don't know whether we're using it or not, or will we, whether we will or not. So that's not the type of brokenness that you're talking about, but that's what jumped into my mind. No, that's absolutely, that's, that's a episodic brokenness. So maybe that's not a chronic broken system, but now we do have a bit of a broken system and that we have all this bricks and mortar and office spaces all over the place. And it's unclear if people are ever going to go back to work again. So yes, I would say that's a great example, Linda. Thank you. I totally put you on the spot. And so thank you for just answering with your knee jerk. Sometimes our knee jerks are, are, very indicative of what's broken because we're living it, we're feeling it, we're seeing it. Um, and so what's creationally good about commercial real estate is that it allows um, community to be formed. It allows trust to be built. It allows people to sit in one spot together and create goods and services together to distribute goods and services, um, to create flourishing, to do the cultural mandate. And so if um, the pandemic has made it where now people can no longer sit together, it's creating some trust erosion. It's creating a economic kind of mismatch. 
And so um, that's a that's a great example. I'll, I'll jump in with a quick thought as well. Um, I think naming some of these things. So I just saw Hannah Call's uh, message in the chat about the retail industry and a lot of the really tangible inequities there. And I and I think or injustices rather there. I think one of the ways actually in which you can also engage your coworkers in thoughtful dialogue about the redemption of your industry or a broken system or whatever it is, is like, so Missy said a moment ago, once you see something, you can't really unsee it. One of the things I've found in my work experience is naming that to my colleagues and saying like, hey, that's something I'm feeling or that's something I'm observing. What do you think about that? And that space can become a really interesting area for conversation rather than maybe maybe like the upper left quadrant of Missy's paradigm earlier, just thinking through or feeling this push to constantly share the gospel and, and maybe feeling like that is a bit forced or awkward sometimes. Having this type of conversation like, hey, this is an area of frustration I have with uh, maybe what's going on in our industry, or maybe this is something I feel like is unjust. What do you think about that? I think that can be actually create a really safe um, and uh, mutually collaborative space for you to actually engage your coworkers in kingdom-minded conversation. Mm, that's a great comment, Ben. And I'd love to build off that by sharing something another consultant shared with me. And so I think most Christians have been um, informed, you know, of the kind of biblical art arc of creation, fall, redemption, restoration, right? Um, so if you if you take those words, creation, fall, redemption, restoration, if you start talking about those at AT&T or something, people are going to be like, what are you talking about? However, you can substitute the words ought, is, can, will. So if, if this industry was perfect, if it had been created perfectly, what ought it to have looked like? Okay, but what is it now? So what, what's broken now? What is it now compared to what audit could have looked at? Ought is can. What can it be if we all work together and try to fix things? And if there was a heaven, if this industry was in heaven, what will it look like? And so ought is can will are often words that can take you on biblical journeys without ever pulling out the words gospel, Bible, Jesus, any of that. You're, you're helping them live into the reality of the biblical arc without even realizing it. That's so good to see Ben. I think um, it's a good word to end on. Um, I love how that brings in. I mean, we talk often about, uh, about, you know, common grace and, and how God has, um, you know, uh, given the sun to shine and, and the rain to fall, even on those who, um, you know, who don't know him and, and how he uh, uses, you know, people who, who don't know him to further his purposes. And so, you know, what it can look like to, to work um, with those in our, our industry and our coworkers um, for the common good is, um, uh, is, is something that we can really pursue and, um, and, and see bless um, you know, our neighbor, uh, as we're called to, to the industry that we're in. But um, I'm going to wrap us up here because uh, we've quickly come to the end of our hour. But um, Missy and Ben, thank you guys so much for being a part of this conversation. Um, it's been it's been really insightful. And um, 
and yeah, I, I think such a helpful grid to, to think about our work through Missy. And then I love just the, the practical sort of examples there, Ben. Um, and, and would definitely just want to encourage folks to, to get connected with Rework if you're, if you're in the city. If you want to learn more about that, I know Ben would love to talk to you um, in the link that he shared there. We'd love to have you join us again next week. Um, we, again, like, like I said, will be both in person and on Zoom. You can use the same link um, for next week. That'll be our final session. We actually have uh, Kimberly Deckel is going to be talking with us. She is part of the Surge Network Leadership Team in Phoenix. She's also a social worker. Um, and she's going to be talking about building the beloved community in our workplace. And so I'm really excited to, to hear from her next week. And uh, yeah, hope to see each of you.